Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. You know, it's always interesting to me how God works, and, and we like to say sometimes there are no coincidences with God. Um, I read a, every day my, my reading plan, and my Bible is called the Life Journal Reading Plan, and today... Uh, happened to be in both Jeremiah and John 14, which was put up here on the screen. And John 14, uh, it just fits everything we're talking about this morning. And so I just encourage you, you may want to even jot that down and go back and look at that even afterwards, because there's more than I could ever say about our topic this morning. School is getting ready to start. I mean, I think this is a tax-free weekend to help that. And But uh, as many of you know, times have definitely changed. They've certainly changed since I was in school. I grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and and in elementary school, my big concerns were whether or not I'd win at Foursquare. We called it Four Corner. But Foursquare at recess. And if we were having fish sticks on Friday, which I hated. But unfortunately, because it was Louisiana and it was... So many Catholics, even in the public schools, it seems like we always had fish sticks on Friday. So, you know. By the time I got to high school, and, and here's a picture of where I went to high school, my concerns were a little more serious. My freshman year was in the early 70s. Some of you remember. Um, we didn't have a dress code my freshman year. And let me just tell you, there should have been. There were some things in the late 60s, early 70s that people really didn't need to be wearing out in public, at least not in school. There were just some things that weren't flattering, that that the culture just kind of encouraged. And I just remember so well thinking, oh. And I was kind of young and naive. So thankfully, my sophomore year, they did have a dress code, and things got so much better. But one of the big things was that there were a lot of guys in, in school who had grown long hair. And there was a dress code, and in the dress code was you had to put your chin down, and the, the back of your hair couldn't go past your chin. And a lot of these guys didn't want to cut their hair, so they started wearing wigs. And I'm not talking about good wigs. <laughs> I'm talking about really bad wigs. I still have some pictures from my high school yearbook. I mean, some of those guys, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Did, was your hair that important that you had to wear? Oh, uh, anyway, that's... That's for another time or place. But mostly I was working on grades and trying to understand girls, and I'm still trying to work on that one, just to be honest. But the reality is in recent years, stresses have multiplied. In school, outside of school, there's all this huge pressure to achieve, whether it's grades and standardized test scores, whether it's sports, whether it's cheer or dance, it seems like there's more bullying than I recall. Drugs and alcohol seem to be playing a bigger role in school than I ever remembered. And all kinds of violence in schools. I mean, it, it, it's bad. And after the tragedy down in Santa Fe last May, it all really kind of comes home. I've listened to parents. I've listened to students. I've listened to teachers and school staff express all kinds of concerns. I mean, it really struck me. I never would have imagined, I hadn't even heard of PTSD when I was in in school. And now it's hard for me to imagine that we've got students in high schools battling 
PTSD. I mean, that's just, it's hard to fathom. Lee Stamp in our church wrote a, a post on Facebook a few days ago, and she gave me permission to, to share part of what she wrote. She wrote, the Columbine massacre happened on April 20th, 1999. My husband, Jeff, started teaching high school that fall. Our family has never known a school year without the looming threat of another shooting. Will this be the last time that we see each other? That shouldn't be a thought that crosses your mind every day before you leave for work. And yet, this is our reality. And even some of the other people who responded, parents talking about that in terms of their kids. Guys, we really do live in a mad, mad world, as Betsy alluded to. Mad as in angry and mad as in crazy. How do we live in this kind of world? And, and, and that is what we're trying to explore in this series. Last week we talked about a biblical principle that calls disciples of Jesus Christ to be in the world, but not of it. And if you missed that, you can go back and watch it on, on Facebook. And, and in the midst of that, we said that the Bible calls us to be ambassadors in, in this world, realizing that our our home, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, that our real home is not the here and now. It is the kingdom of God. It's heaven. And an ambassador represents another country in a foreign land. And while the ambassador interacts with the local culture, he is always committed to his home country and, and stays true to its ways. As Christians, then we live by the standards and the laws of our homeland of our home, of our kingdom, the kingdom of God, instead of the land that we find ourselves in. But our purpose is to represent the interests of our native country, of heaven, if you will, in this foreign land. It says in Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, his followers, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so the Bible calls you and me to live, who, those of us who, who put our faith in Christ, to live as his ambassadors, as his agents of reconciliation. And that includes in our schools, even in the midst of the threats of violence. We live in a time when cultural diversity has, has required our schools to take a real separation of church and state approach, unlike earlier years in, in this land. And even though there aren't supposed to be formal prayers in school, there are times of silence, but of course, as someone once said, as long as there are tests in school, there will always be prayer in school. And, and we know that there are many, many Christians in our schools, like many of you, who serve as teachers and staff and, and, or as students. And many of you do take very seriously the calling of, of, of Christ to be his ambassador in the classroom, in the hall, in the playground, and wherever you find yourself. But how do we approach times like these where, where anxiety is everywhere and violence in schools leaves some of us feeling helpless, even hopeless? 
to get a handle on that today, I, I want to take a look at a well-known scripture that, that wasn't set in a school, but it seems to address many of the elements of our schools, our workplaces, even our churches, and what we're facing today in our churches. We, we typically often, it, it's read at a funeral at a celebration of life, but that really honestly shortchanges its value and its power for you and me, for how we live our lives each day. I'm talking, of course, about the 23rd Psalm, written by King David some 3,000 years ago. We don't know the exact setting. We can't tell in the context and what it tells us exactly what he was addressing, but it's clearly set in a time when David is facing some trouble. And yet, in the midst of it, David expresses confidence in God getting him through whatever he's facing. And the psalm uses a couple of metaphors or images of God's goodness. Uh, God is a shepherd, deeply concerned about his sheep. And he's a, a host who has prepared a lavish banquet for his children. David points to, to two issues in it. He, he says, we the sheep sometimes find ourselves going through the, the valley of the shadow of death. And, and we, as guests attending a banquet, sometimes find ourselves in the presence of our enemies. Now, the original Hebrew words translated valley of the shadow of death, in some of your translations, will say darkest valley. It gives the same kind of sense. It's a picture of a shepherd leading his sheep through steep wadis and ravines in, the, in, the, in the, what we would call the Holy Land or the Middle East where these steep, narrow slopes can, can create these places of darkness. And in one minute you're in bright light, and in the next minute as you're, as you're going along the way, you're, you're, it, it, your eyes are blinded and you can't really see. They represent the uncertainty of life because there's no place really to run or escape from predators or enemies. And it's hard as you step into that darkness to see what's ahead. And then the banquet takes place where the host, God himself, loves and, and cares for his guest and offers him protection in the face of his enemies. So let me invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 23, or you can use the YouVersion Bible app, or uh, we have notes in the bulletin that you can pull out and use and follow along with us as we walk through this, this passage this morning. The, the psalm begins offering us assurance even before it addresses what the actual concerns are. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And even as I said that, I heard a couple of you repeating, repeating those words. Some of you know those words very well. Now, David uses the word Lord, and, and if you notice the, the word Lord here is in all caps in your in your. In the notes, it's with small caps. And that's because when you see that in the Old Testament in translations, that means it's, it's, it's a word that represents God's own personal name. It's Y-H-W-H, or when you put some vowels in, we pronounce it Yahweh. And I put that in your notes. And that's the name he revealed to Moses at the burning bush as his personal name. That's the first time that God revealed himself and gave us his name. And, and this isn't just a God that he reveals to Moses or, or to, to David or to anybody else, but the God, the one and only God who created the universe, who saved the Hebrews out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. In Exodus 34, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed 
the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David says, this God, this God is the shepherd who cares for and sacrifices himself on behalf of his sheep. And yet, as David says this, he doesn't simply say, the shepherd. He's very intentional. And this, is, this kind of stands out because often in the Old Testament, we, we see a very communal approach, a very communal understanding to the Hebrews and the Jews as they talked about God. But here, David intentionally says, my shepherd, my shepherd. God is not just everybody's shepherd. He's also David's personal shepherd. He's your personal shepherd. He's my personal shepherd. We aren't lost in the crowd. Our shepherd knows each one of us and knows, and knows what we're going through, knows what we're facing, knows what we're, we're battling against. He knows the dangers that are very real today in your life, in my life, in the world around us, and, and, and the life of each of your children. And he has agreed to be shepherd for each one of us. And because David is confident in who, who his shepherd is, he says, I shall not want. I, in other words, I don't have any other needs. I've got what I need. To the original Jewish listeners, this language in God's personal name would have brought to their minds God's care and provision for them as, as God led them through the, uh, the, the, the wilderness into uh, the promised land, out of Egypt and into promised land. David's discovered he, he has what he needs. Not necessarily all that he wants, but he has what he needs, much like Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, what do I need now? for what God is calling me to do here, today. And then David describes what this has meant to him in times of, of trouble and concern. He says in the beginning of verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now again, the metaphor, the image here is that we are sheep. So uh, imagine green pastures, especially in, in a dry and sometimes barren land. How wonderful that would be. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. These green pastures and still waters show God's refreshing care for his own sheep. And, and, and this refreshing leads to a restoration of our souls in the midst of a crazy, mad world. When the shepherd needs to, to move his sheep, he knows the right way. He knows where to go. And, and so he leads them down the right paths. It, when, when it says righteous, paths of righteousness, it means the right paths that get them to his intended destination, even if it sometimes requires them to go through darkest valleys. Notice, he's not saying that he... he keeps us from avoiding all the troubles in life. Sometimes the path that we go, the, the right path, will take us through dark valleys. Now, when I was younger, even as an adult, I mean, I have to confess, I was pretty naive, and I thought, okay, I'm a Christian, so that means there should never be any issues. And, I, I, and when something happens, it must be because I'm doing something wrong in my Christian faith. 
And what, what he's showing us here is that, he, that sometimes the right path will take us through dark places. It doesn't mean we're bad, we've done wrong. It's the right path, even if it's not the easy, easiest path in the world. Verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says, even as the straight paths, the paths of righteousness may lead through these dark places in life, David said he wasn't afraid because he knew his shepherd was right there with him. The shepherd's rod or club and staff provided the sheep protection that they needed, regardless of, of what they might discover in those dark places. If a mountain lion or a tiger, well, not tiger, but a, a lion or a wolf or something, a bear, oh my, jumps out, he was prepared to deal with it. And David has confidence and, and comfort, he says, that his God, who is with him, has everything he needs to get him through whatever he's facing. His confidence here encourages you and me to, to choose, because it's a choice, to choose to trust God in spite of the fears that we sometimes face, in spite of our anxieties, in spite of our worries, in spite of the dark places that we may have to walk through, that we may be in right now in our daily lives. Because let me tell you something. There is nothing the enemy, the devil, loves more than to help our imaginations Run wild, always thinking the worst, always thinking the worst. Some of you remember a couple of years ago, I discovered I had a, a mass under the breastplate of, of, of my chest, and um, they immediately sent me for an MRI. And for about 24 hours, as I was going through the process of waiting, going to the MRI center, sitting under that thing for like 45 minutes and, and then getting out and, and waiting till the next day to get a, a radiologist to read it. I, I want to tell you, I mean, my thoughts were running all over the place. I mean, I, I, I thought, okay, it must be lung cancer or, or a lymphoma or something like that. It's, it's not good. The, it's going to be hard. The, the struggles of treatment are going to be, going to be, are going to tear me up. I mean, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of things. Am I going to be alive a year from now? What about my kids? What about my family, my wife? What about you, the church that God has called me to? And there was all this, this stuff welling up in me, pain, suffering, going through the treatments and, and what it might be like and how my life might end and how long did I have? And then I discovered it was a thyroid mass and, and then I went through some surgery and treatment, and, and the mass did have some cancer in it, and, but it was nothing, nothing like I imagined in those 24 hours. But I want to tell you, my imagination robbed me of enjoying life during those hours. And I kept trying to go back to God in the midst of that, saying, God, don't let me go there. God, let me trust you in the midst of this. God, there's got to be more to this. God, I, I, I believe, and yet I, I knew, he, I, I still felt those things. 
David had discovered that when we become consumed with anxiety and fear, that affects every part of our lives, from our stomachs, and some of us, some of us feel it right here, don't we? To our thinking, to our very lives, and the activities that we take part in, or decide not to as we go through it. But David also discovered that he did not have to go there because his God was with him and loved him and would lead him through whatever he faced. Then as, as he continues, David changes the metaphor to that of a banquet with our heavenly Father as the host. Verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Preparing a banquet in front of his enemies. Is, I mean, to me, the picture, there's almost like God is rubbing it in the, his, the enemy's face. He's saying, look, look what I can do. I can, I can prepare a feast for those I love and care for them right in your face. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. And he, he sets this out before us. And he, he demonstrates that he loves his children and he invites them and welcomes them to the banquet. It was typical for a host to anoint honored guests with oil before a meal began in biblical times. And an overflowing cup symbolized a life overflowing with God's blessings, even in the face of enemies. The image here, in fact, is really of the heavenly banquet at the end of time where all of God's children will be gathered together from all, all times, all places, all, all uh, races, and, and all that, where all of his children who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will come together. And in fact, when we celebrate communion, that's one aspect of, of that communion, is that we come together in anticipation of what God is going to do and that Jesus will be our host someday at that heavenly banquet. No matter what the enemy does, he cannot steal us out of God's hands. He cannot take you. You can surrender, but he cannot take you. Y'all, we need to hear that. Because as we get into stuff and we start worrying, then we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on the things that are getting to us. And we find ourselves going down paths and thinking and worrying about stuff. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm telling you, I myself battle that, okay? Don't, um, don't hear me say it's easy. It's not. But it's important. So in, in the... In, in, and Paul, Don, David goes on to say, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy then shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's mercy, God's steadfast love. You may not remember, but in your notes, if you look back here to Exodus 34, 7, in, in, on the front page of this, uh, it, that, that word steadfast love, it's sometimes translated mercy, sometimes translated in different ways, but it is a common Old Testament word describing God's unfailing, unending love for his own. In fact, it's so good that David senses assurance that he is going to find blessings, not only in this life, even in the face of his enemies, no matter what may come, but he will spend eternity in God's heavenly home. It's no wonder that in the New Testament, Jesus picked up some of these same images, some of these same metaphors. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
That's how far he will go for you and me. In other words, as, as we saw on the cross, there is no limit to how far the good shepherd will go for, for us, for, for me, for you. And Jesus instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion, telling us to do this because he knew we would face challenging times. He knew life wouldn't be easy. He knew that stuff would happen that would come to mind, and we needed to be reminding ourselves, remembering who we are, whose we are, and all he's done for us. In Luke 22, it says, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Guys, it's why weekly worship and, and daily time with God are so important. Because they continue to remind us and reinforce in us who God is and who we are. I'm not saying that we remember every detail, but I am saying out of sight, out of mind. I am saying... The enemy loves to use fear and anxiety and worry to distract us from what we do have. And there's, that's never been more true than it as it relates to today and in our schools, causing all kinds of worry and, and keeping us from living life to its fullest with God. You know, it's, uh, I was reading this week, it's been said that fear not, that phrase, fear not, appears in the Bible 365 times, once for each day of the year. Now, I, I did some research, and, and in actuality, those exact words are not there 365 times. But the idea of don't be afraid, fear not, said in numerous ways, actually appears more than 365 times, encouraging us in one way or another each day throughout the day not to let fear and anxiety short circuit that day, that moment, and the life that God desires for each one of us. In Romans Paul wrote, the spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. And of course, that doesn't mean, again, that everything's going to go our way. Or that the, for those of us who are Christians, that we won't face adversity. Here's the thing. Violence in schools happens to Christians and non-Christians. And beyond that, the enemy loves to give us reasons to be afraid, to be anxious, to worry. But does it mean we, we, we don't have, it does mean we don't have to let fear and anxiety rob us. We take precautions. I mean, we have to take more precautions than we did when I was a kid. I mean, it's just the, that's just the way it is today. We help our kids know how to watch out for themselves. But remember, we're not of this world. And so even though we are in the world, we don't live in a constant state of fear and worry that the devil uses to derail the abundant life God desires for each one of us as children. So real quick in your notes, I, I came up just with four things from Scripture. I can overcome fear and anxiety by remembering, remembering first that God is with me. With you, individually, personally. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Second, I will overcome fear and anxiety by remembering that God comforts me. Verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He comforts us directly, but he also comforts us through the body of Christ. 
It's why there's value in us gathering together as a community of faith on Sundays. But there's also value of us for us gathering together in smaller groups where we can really kind of get down to brass tacks and talk about some of the things that we're struggling with and some of the things that are creating anxiety in us with others who are on the same track and on the same path and draw strength from each other and encouragement. Three, I can overcome fear and anxiety by remembering God strengthens me. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And finally, I can overcome fear and anxiety by remembering that God saves me. Isaiah 35.4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. You can take that to the bank. You and I need to live on that. Nothing that evil can throw at you and me can ultimately defeat us because God will save all of us who put our faith and trust in Him. It doesn't matter, even in the midst of stuff, there's nothing that God cannot overcome and see us through. Remember, He still may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, but He will lead us through it to the promised land, to the homeland. And yes, there will be adversity. Jesus said, in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Being in the world, but not of it. As disciples of Jesus Christ and citizens of heaven, we know Satan and evil do not have the last word. We... In essence, we, we've gone to the end of the book and we've read the end of the story and we know how it comes out. And, and, you know, when you know the end, it makes it a little easier to go through the stuff that you have to go through. We've discovered that Satan isn't nearly as powerful as his lies would indicate. He's already beaten. His real power is in raising fear in you and me. And what better way to do that than to attack those we love, to attack us when we're vulnerable. But the fears he raises have spread so much further than the reality. We, we may live in a madman world, but we have a great, great God in whom we can entrust ourselves and those we love, no matter what happens. I've, I've intentionally used a lot of scripture in this message, and I could have done so much more and, and put it in the notes so that you can take it with you. Some of you, you need to memorize Psalm 23. You need to commit it to memory and allow it to to be of value to you so that, why do we, we memorize scripture? So that when stuff happens, we can call on God's word and we can claim it in our own lives to look at God's promises each morning and ask him to give us a peace which passes all understanding. In Philippians it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we can take it a step further by being his agents of, of his kingdom who point others to Christ and the strength, comfort, and peace that he offers. In other words, we don't just find it for ourselves, but we take it out into the world. We expand the boundaries. We, we push the borders of the kingdom. Christ is needed more than ever in our schools and communities. And he's called, equipped, and empowered you and me, each one of us, to be 
agents of his reconciliation. You can not only overcome your own sense of anxiety and fear, but you can allow God to use you to encourage and lift up others. Maybe you need to invite some unchurched friends to join you in church, to show them the hope, to bring them into it, so that weekly you and they can be reminded that God is on their sides. Let me tell you something. It is my contention that attending weekly worship makes a huge difference in our lives. Do I remember everything that I heard as I went to church, as I went to worship? No. Do you remember everything? No. Will you remember half of what I say tomorrow? No. But you will be, have gone through an experience in the community of faith. And you will discover that God works in that in ways you can't even foresee and imagine. We think, well, if I just go once in a while, it'll be okay. But what we're doing is we're saying, God, I, I don't need you. But when we go regularly, we are saying, God, I need you all the time. And I'm going to put myself in a position weekly in worship, daily in reading through God's word, where I can allow you to continue to build me up and give me your confidence. By the way, Lee Samp had more to say in her Facebook post, and I think it's appropriate for all of us. She said, so as the school year approaches and Jeff returns to teaching, I ask you to keep our family in your prayers, along with all of the teachers, students, their families, and anyone who works in our schools who carries that same burden. Pray for supernatural healing for those who have experienced these tragedies firsthand. Pray for safety. Pray for peace. And that's exactly what we want to do this morning. We want to pray and encourage you pray and encourage and use a powerful song in just a moment. I want to just tell you in just a moment, our prayer teams will be down here, and if you need that, let them pray over you. We want you to know how to, to get engaged and be used by God. So the volunteer over here, Josh is standing there, senior moment, Josh is standing over there, and, and he, would, he would love to take you through that. Come join us next week for Come Alive. Be here right at the start. And I don't, I don't have to tell you guys as much as I have to tell the 11 o'clock service that. They don't, they don't do as good a job as you. But, but be here right at the start. And if you're a guest today, I'm going to be out here with some friends, and I'd love to tell you hello afterwards. But I want to I just pray, and then after that, we're going we're gonna to affirm our faith in, our, in, in, I think, a very powerful way. So would you join me? Gracious God, this morning as, as the start of school looms ahead of us, and, and all of life looms ahead of us, we ask that your spirit would invade our souls and give us the, the wisdom and the courage and the, 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 the knowledge to know that you are with us, you love us, you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that you give us a peace that passes all understanding. Yes, Father, we know that there will be adversity. There will be things that happen. But, Father, we know that more often than not, our own fears and anxieties will build things up bigger than, than they really are because the enemy, Satan, loves to take advantage of us. Father, we pray that that would not be so. And that instead, we would keep our eyes on Jesus. We would, we would focus on him and surrender to him and, and know that we are surrounded by him. And that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And that we can march forward with caution, with wisdom, not being stupid, but also with confidence and comfort and faith. That we can make a difference. That we can make this year the best it's ever been. That we can be used by you in whatever role it may be as parents, as students, as teachers, as staff, as, as members of the church family. 
who have no direct role in school to pray for and lift up our community, our country, our world, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.